we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. Are you a conquering Christian? Are you a victorious Christian? The Bible says that we were placed here in Christ's stead. He was taken away, and then we are here in Christ's stead. In fact, there were so many of us running around so much like Jesus that they first called them Christians. The Christ ones, the Christ-like, they, they look so much like Jesus. I wonder what they would call us today. Are we a conquering people? We can be. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you have all the victory you want? Do you have all the victory you need? Do you have all the joy you want? Do you have all the love that you want? Do you have all the peace that you want? You know, I look around the church today and I see, not just in this building, I'm talking about in general, when I go preach in places around the country, I see Christians that are just tired. We're worn out. We're haggled, we're hassled, we're taking the same medications for, for stress, right? We're taking uppers and downers and sidewaysers and everything else. Now, listen, I, 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 believe, I believe that in these days of haste, God told us in, in Isaiah chapter 40, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And he said, and they'll do that, listen, they'll do that in the rigors of life. Like an eagle that mounts up with wings. Uh, you know, eagles, when he's talking about that, he's talking about the eagle over the storm. Eagles will spread those wings and let the thermals take them above the storm. And God said they'll mount up with wings as eagles. When, when life gets stormy, a Christian just spreads their wings and uses that storm to fly higher. And then he says, and then they shall run and not get weary. That's in the race of life. You know, life can be a rat race. And I want to tell everybody at the end of the day, when you've won the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> right? But man, life gets to be a rat race, does it not? And God said in the, in, the, in the rigors of life, in the race of life, and then just in the, in the normal, everyday common day, the walk of life. They shall walk and not faint. That's just in the, in the regular life, a regular life. I mean, listen, uh, sometimes, sometimes uh, we're, we're, we're not running and we're not flying. We just got to walk. We got to make sure that the kids have the same shoes on their feet. Right? Ladies, sometimes you're just trying to get breakfast on the table before everybody gets out the door. But you know that in those times right there, you can have great peace and joy. And by the way, it's something interesting. Jesus didn't say that you have your joy. He said you'd have his joy. He said you didn't, wouldn't have your peace, you'd have his peace. And by the way, the reason why many of us don't have his joy and his peace is because we're not living his life. He, he died our death so he could, we could live his life, Amen. Now listen, hey, 
Uh, I want to give a simple truth. I, I know I'm talking to preachers. I'm talking to preachers' wives. I'm talking to faithful church members. You're here on a Tuesday night. But I really believe with all my heart, we got to get back to the simplistic message of the Christ life in us. Listen, Jesus did not just die our death, but when he died on the cross, it was Jesus dying for you. He gave himself for you. But when he rose from the dead, he gave himself to you. So that he could live his life through you and do his work. Paul didn't say, I can do all things. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Then he said, for Christ who is our life. For Christ who is our life. Paul said, thanks be unto God, which causes us always to triumph in who? In Christ. You see, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, his life in us. You say, well, how does he live his life in us? I love what Jesus said. Jesus, in, the, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, <laughs> he was trying to tell the disciples about the Holy Spirit and about the Trinity, and they weren't getting it. They didn't understand it. He said, I'm going away from you. And finally, he just said, now look, guys, it's expedient for you that I go away. It's in your best interest that I go away. He said, because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter to you. And the comforter will come to live in you. Now watch this. And he said, when the comforter comes, then the Father and I will come and make our abode in you. Yes. Now listen, the reason why it was important for Jesus to go away, and it was in, in the best interest of the disciples for Jesus to leave, is because when he was here in his earthly body, Jesus came as a man in our experience. So when Jesus was here in his body and he was over here talking to Peter, and he had to talk to Peter a lot. When Jesus was over here talking to Peter, he wasn't over here talking to John. When Jesus was off somewhere else with his disciples, he wasn't there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But Jesus went away. And he said, it's best for you that I go away because when I was with you, I could only be with you, but I couldn't be with them. But if I go away, I'm going to send my spirit into you and I, everywhere you go, I'm going to go with you. Listen, in a couple of days, we're all going to leave this place. We're going to go back to our ministry. But aren't you glad to know that Jesus is going to go with you? And he's going to be with you in, in, uh, in, in North Carolina and in, uh, in Tennessee as well as he's going to be with me in Colorado. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, so many of us, we say, I want to be in God's will. You know, God only has just a few wills, and he's revealed them in his word. And first of all, we said it just a moment ago in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Watch this. It's God's will for you to, first of all, be saved. Listen, if you're in this room tonight and you've never been born again, you're out of God's will. But then he tells us over there, he tells us over there in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You abstain from fornication, for he has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. It's God's will for us to be sanctified. It's God's will for us to be a set-apart people. Listen, if we're saved, uh, but we're not sanctified, we're out of the will of God. And then he says over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He said, in everything, give thanks. We're to be a grateful, thankful people. We're to be a praising, glorifying people. When we're complaining and grumbling and mumbling and upset, we're out of the will of God. It is God's will for us to be giving thanks. Everybody with me on that? 
So it's God's will for us to be saved. It's God's will for us to be sanctified. It's God's will for us to be, give thanks. He said over there in 1 Peter, he says, for it's better if the will of God be so that you suffer. For righteousness sake than for unrighteousness. You know, sometimes God's will is for you to suffer. God wants his people to suffer. You say, why would God will suffering? Oh, because it makes you go to him. It makes you more like him. You know, the Lord takes suffering and he starts knocking everything out of you that doesn't look like Jesus. Because he wants you to look like his son. The Bible teaches us very clearly that the will of God is very simple for us. But how do we do all that? I mean, how do, we, how do we get saved? How do we live a sanctified life? How do we live a life of thanksgiving? How do we live a life that is clean and holy before God? How do we live a life that suffers and brings glory to God in our suffering? How do we do all that? You know, the, the Lord didn't, didn't just give us this great salvation. You know, some people say, boy, what a great salvation we have. I remember when, uh, I, I remember when I was in high school, we had a boy in our school, his name was Carl. Carl wasn't all there. Carl was, uh, Carl was, as we would say down south, he was a few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? Dipstick didn't go all the way to the oil, elevator. You know, you know Carl just, he was slow. He, he, we would call him special today. <laughs> and Carl came to our high school. Man, he was a hard worker. Carl came off our bus route. He got saved. He got involved. Man, he got into church. That guy, he wanted to go to our Christian school so bad, so we got him a job at McDonald's. And he started going to, he started paying his own way to our Christian school. He'd, he'd work all afternoon, and he, he, didn't, he didn't, didn't get to play the sports teams and all that. He'd go to work, and he'd work at McDonald's, and he'd pay his way to our Christian school. And, and God just blessed Carl. I'm telling you, whatever that kid did, God just blessed him. And he, by the way, he did all this by taking the city bus. He'd take the city bus to school in the morning. He'd take the city bus after school to McDonald's at night, and he'd just work. That guy was, and God blessed him. One time we had him over to our, our house for a get-together, I had a bunch of boys come over to my house, and we got into a big old rowdy game of Monopoly. <laughs> Man, those games take forever. We're, we're playing Monopoly, and let me tell you, we were all going bankrupt, and Carl was still in the game. Now, this kid couldn't add two plus two, I don't think. But he was still in the game. And I could not figure out how this kid was in the game. And, and I mean, we're, every time I rolled the dice, I'm getting killed on Boardwalk Park Place, every railroad station. He owned everything. <laughs> and, and we would all go bankrupt. Carl would have money to buy our stuff. He didn't, he didn't have the sense to buy it in the beginning. He, wasn't, he was nice. He was letting us get it. And then we'd go bankrupt. And then he'd buy our stuff from us. And I, one day, he, lo he moved his pillow and I, there was a huge wad of cash under there, Monopoly money. I said, Carl, what is that? He put the pillow back down. I said, where'd all that money come from? He got real sheep as he didn't want to say. I said, man, are you cheating? No. I said, Carl, where did all that money come from? It's from a tithe. <laughs> Carl had been going around. Every time he came around and got 200 bucks, he'd put, he'd put 20 over there under the pillow. <laughs> He was tithing in Monopoly, and God was opening the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings. I was going home with money and hole, with bags of holes in them. He said, well, listen, if it works with my McDonald's money, it should work with my Monopoly money. I'll never forget, Carl bought himself a, Carl went out and bought himself a moped. 
Remember, how many of you remember the mopeds? That little motorcycle, he got pedals on them. Carl bought himself a moped. He was so proud of that thing. He brought it to school. And I'm like, man, Carl, it's a great purchase. And he took off after school, and he took off riding that thing, pedaling down the hill. And we were, we were so proud of Carl, how he was doing. Well, a, a few weeks later, my youth pastor and I were going out visiting, and we're driving along, and we're going, we're going up this hill. And I looked over, lo and behold, there was a guy in a moped over there on the side of the road, and he's just standing up on that thing, pedaling, just drenched with sweat. And it was Carl. I'm like, why in the world is he pedaling that thing? Well, we went on about our business. We got our stuff done. And later at church in that week, we, we, my youth pastor and I went to Carl. We said, Carl, we saw you in your moped. Oh, you did? He said, yeah. And you were pedaling that thing like crazy. He said, yeah, I know. That boy's heavy. Uh, my youth pastor said, well, Carl, when you're going up that hill, why weren't you running the engine? He said, what engine? <laughs> he said, Carl, that thing's got a, it's a moped. It stands for motor and pedal. Well, yeah, it's got pedals. It's got, it's got a motor. He said, where? <laughs> right there. It's, it's, it's right there, Carl. My youth pastor took him out there and opened up the gas cap. There's never been any gas in that thing. He took him back to the bus barn, got a gas can, and poured some gas in it and fired that thing up. Carl never pedaled that thing again. <laughs> I mean, he's just riding around that moped, feet out. <laughs> he'd come to school, bugs in his teeth, and he was so happy. He couldn't stop smiling. He, and here's the thing. God's given us this great salvation, and let me tell you what most of us are doing. We're just pushing it around. We're pedaling around, and we're worn out. Because God has another will for our life that every other will for our life is predicated on. It's found for us in Ephesians chapter Five. Would you look at it? Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible tells us very clearly in verse number 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise. Now God said that very, very, very tactfully, but that really means don't be an ignoramus. It's the word for ignoramus. Don't be an ignoramus. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Hey, don't be, don't, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The will of God for every Christian's life is, listen, you're not going to live, you're not going to live a sanctified life until you've first been saved and then filled with the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. Paul was writing over to the Galatians, and he said to the Galatians, he said, you know, you got this group troubling you. These Judaizers have come in and said, you got to get circumcised. you got to keep the law. They're putting you back under the bondage of the law. And he said, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is you can keep the law, but that will never make you spiritual. Because you cannot legislate holiness. And Paul said it very simply. He said, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. See, what we're trying to do is, so oftentimes in our Christian life, is we're trying to get standards on everybody when we ought to get the Spirit in everybody. Amen. And if we get the Spirit in everybody, he'd bring them to the standard because he only does one thing. He speaks of Christ. And he teaches us Christ, and the Spirit of God fills the believer's life. Now, can I tell you something tonight, church, and I mean this with all my heart. I believe that we talk a lot about it, 
but many of us have not experienced what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that the Bible didn't say, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do not commit adultery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he could have said that, or he could have said, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Uh, thou shalt not covet, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, he could have said that, but there's a reason why he said uh, that you should not be drunk with wine. By the way, somebody one time said, well, see, we can drink as long as we don't get drunk. That's not what it says. It said, don't drink wine wherein is excess. If what you're drinking has excess in it, you're not, you're not drinking the right thing. If what you're drinking has the potential to take you to an excess, it didn't say don't drink to excess. It said don't drink anything wherein is excess. Now listen to me carefully. The reason why he used alcohol and drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit is because it's an issue of control. It's the issue of control. When, when, when a man drinks, then the drink controls the man. What he has taken into himself willingly takes over him forcefully. The Japanese have a proverb, first a man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes a man. And he said, I don't want you to take this drink and put it in you and let the drink take control of you. He said, I don't want that. That's unwise. He said, but what you need to do, the will of God for you, is to take the Spirit of God in you, just like a man would take drink in him, and let the Spirit of God have full control. Where alcohol will change the way you think. It changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you give. It changes the way you sing. I mean, the shyest man in the room, get him, get him liquored up, and he'll fight the biggest guy in the room. Boldness, generosity. God said that's unwise. Alcohol is the devil's substitute for a spirit-filled life. He said, now don't be filled with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with spirit. Now don't get the idea tonight that the spirit of God is a liquid and you're a vessel. The Spirit of God is a person, and you're a temple. And to be filled with the Spirit of God is to allow the person in the temple and in every part of the temple. You ever been sitting at home, and somebody knocked on the door, and you weren't expecting company? And you hop up real quick, and you're like, man, who's that? Did you know anybody was coming? No, I didn't know anybody was coming. And you run to the door, and you're looking out to see who it is. And you recognize them, just some friends from church. They've stopped over. They probably got a casserole dish or something. <laughs> and so you kind of open the door. Hey, didn't know y'all was coming. <laughs> right? And in the meanwhile, you're just talking as slow as you can. Everybody in the background is in the Boston Marathon trying to get whatever's in the living room out of the living room. There's just, like, you can hear dishes kind of rattling in there. <laughs> and then everybody's standing there just, you know, hey. Hey, come on in. Come on in. No, listen. I'm so glad you stopped by. Make yourself at. Just, why don't y'all just make yourself at. Hey, you want some sweet tea? We'll get you some sweet tea. I was telling the men today, man, it's been great to be back in the South. And I knew I was back in the South, all the sweet tea and all that. When I saw a mosquito after it bit me flying away, giving himself an insulin shot. <laughs> mosquitoes, mosquitoes have diabetes down here. 
Hey, come on in. Make yourself at home. Y'all just sit right here. We're going to get you some sweet tea, right? And you go in the kitchen and you're pouring some glasses and you're, hey, how's your mama and them? And they don't answer. You come back in the living room and they're not there. And you think, hey, uh, Mary Beth, Jimmy Ray, where is y'all at? And you hear some noise from the back bedroom and you walk down the hallway and you open up your bedroom and there's Mary Beth and Jimmy Ray. They're going through your drawers. <laughs> like, where y'all do your shopping? These are, these are nice. I mean, they're going through the filing cabinet. Oh, man, you, uh, this is how much you paid for this place? Man, look at this credit card debt. We feel better about ourselves already. And you're thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you said make ourselves at home. <laughs> See, and this is exactly what we did with the Holy Spirit. We get saved and the Holy Spirit moved in and then we just say, now you just stay right here for my church life. But you can't go in my entertainment room. You're not going in my friendship room. Yeah. Lord, that's, that's where I do my... That's where I do my uh, that's where I do my private life in there. Those, those are personal things. You're not allowed in that room. You see, a man's not filled with the Holy Spirit of God until the Holy Spirit is allowed to come in that temple in every nook and cranny, closet and door and room he has the key and access to. See, tonight, if you're saved but you're not spirit-filled, you'll never be sanctified. You'll never be thankful and grateful. You'll never know how to endure suffering and bring glory to God until you're spirit-filled. You see, God said, it's just like when a man gets drunk, the spirit takes control. He moves in and takes over. We don't bring him in and say, now, just make yourself at home. We bring him in and we say, make me your home. Make me your home. What? Know you not? That your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Too many of us have this so great salvation, but we're pushing it up and down every hill, trying to live a sanctified life. We're trying to live by all the rules. We're trying to do everything we're supposed to do, trying to get to every expectation, trying to get everything done, and we're hassled and frazzled, and we're angry and bitter, and we fight, and we bicker, and we're tired, and we're irritable, and there's a reason why. We've never started the engine. Jesus didn't give you this great salvation and tell you to lug it around. He gave you this great salvation and said, now sit back, son, and enjoy the ride and let the Spirit of God. He gave you an engine, and the engine is the Spirit of God. Amen. Let me tell you what happens when a man gets Spirit-filled. The first thing it'll do is it'll change his worship life. Look with me in chapter 5 and look at verse number 19, the Bible says, be not filled with wine when is it, or drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hey, you know, it was wonderful tonight to walk in here and to sing with all the brethren and to hear that choir singing. Man, wasn't that good? Amen. I couldn't hardly contain myself. But when's the last time you were by yourself at work on a hot day, on a haggle day, on a day where you're rushing from place to place, and yet when you're in the busyness of life, you've got a song in your heart? Amen. 
and you're just singing to yourself. It's one thing to sing with everyone else. It's another thing where you can sing to yourself and just say, God, in the middle of all this chaos, in my heart, I'm just going to worship you and sing to you, and I'm going to sing some psalms and some hymns and some spiritual songs are going to resonate in your life. It's going to change your worship life. Let me tell you, don't, don't, don't ever equate worship with singing. Sometimes we come to our, we say it's our worship time and, and the singing. Oh, listen, uh, listen, the singing is part of our worship. But the preaching is worship and the offering is worship and handshaking is worship and leaving the church is worship. When you leave after the service and you get in your car, that's worship. And going home and being with your family is worship. Listen, worship comes from that old English word, worthyship. To worship God is to give God what he's worthy of. It is to see the worthiness and the holiness and the mightiness of God and the wonder of God in every situation of life in your heart to be singing. Listen, it's one thing to worship God in the church. It's another to worship him in the recesses of your heart. You know, so oftentimes we come to church and we hope that we have a good worship service. It'll pick us up. Let me tell you something, friend. We don't come to church to worship. We bring our worship with us. It's interesting, one day we were singing in our church in Mississippi, and we had good old music like we heard tonight. We didn't, have, we didn't have this stuff of rock and roll and all the contemporary things of today, but we, and we sang some new songs. I mean, the Holy Spirit didn't stop inspiring people to write songs back in 1950. <laughs> but we were singing a new song one night after church. We were teaching it to the church, and man, one, this lady came in down the aisle after church. She said, Pastor, I'll have you know. And boy, listen, I'd, I'd had it up to here. This lady, I mean, listen, she came to me. Oh, I, I forgot I'm in the South. This lady, <laughs> bless her heart. <laughs> she came to me and she said, Pastor, I'll have you know, I didn't like that song we sang tonight. And I said, well, I'll have you know, we won't singing it to you. <laughs> and I said, if we ever sing a song to you, I'll make sure it's your favorite one. We were singing that to Jesus, and he liked it right well. Hey, let me tell you, when you get filled with the Spirit, it'll change your worship life. You'll be able to see the spirituality in the song. It's a spiritual song. It is a biblical song. It is a holy song. It is a reverent song. It is a song worthy of God. It is one that'll move your soul. When you get filled with the Spirit of God, the first thing it will do is in your own heart, it'll change your worship life. Second thing that the Holy Spirit of God will do is it'll change your wedded life. Now, let me tell you, this is where the rubber meets the road, friend. I'll tell you where, I'll tell you where your Christian life is. It's not at the church house. It's at your house. You are not the Christian that everybody at the church knows you to be. You're the Christian that your wife knows you to be. And your kids know you to be. So how do I know if I've got the Holy Spirit? How do I know? How do I know if my worship is right? My heart is right with God. Well, what comes out of you when you get jostled? You ever been standing in the kitchen with a cup of coffee in your hand? Someone bumps your arm and the coffee comes out of it? Well, coffee came out of it because that was what was in it when it was jostled. When you get jostled, what comes out of you is what's in you. And let me tell you where you're going to get jostled the most at home. Somebody say amen. amen. You can't put a man and a woman under the same house and there not be some friction. Amen. I don't care what anybody says today. Men and women are different. Amen. Biologically, amen. emotionally, physically, mentally, 
men, you're leaving me on an island. <laughs> Somebody be a man and say amen, preacher. Not you, your wife already left. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the only guy amen to me and his wife is gone. <laughs> say it again, preacher. <laughs> if I'm feeling this one, it's just good. Park, park air a while, pastor. Ah, uh, but listen, hey, look at verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Me submit to him? Yep, you submit to him. How can I submit to him? Well, just let the Holy Spirit in you show you how he is like the Lord. And you submit to him as, 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 as if he is the Lord. It'll change the way you live your, your married life. It'll bring a relationship in of a humble gratitude in the life of a wife, and she'll see that husband, and she will give him that spiritual headship as she would to the Lord. But the Bible says in verse number 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I heard about a man one time that walked into Dr. R.G. Lee's office and said, Brother, Pastor Lee, you got to help me. He said, what's wrong? He said, I've just been loving my wife. Too. He said, I love my wife so much. I think I love her too much. He said, I'm just telling you, I love her too much. I think, I think I've become so obsessed with her. And I, you've got to help me. I mean, this thing, maybe it's idolatry. You've got to help me. And R.G. said, do you love her like Jesus loves the church? He said, well, no, I wouldn't go that far. He said, then get home and get after it, son. You don't love her enough. <laughs> He said, I want you husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it sacrificially, selflessly to nurture her and to bring, bring to her the nourishment from the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, church. I'll tell, you why, I'll tell you why our churches are in trouble. It's not compromising preaching. We've got plenty of that, but we've always had that. One of the things that I know, one of the reasons why I know the Bible is the word of God is it's endured so much shoddy preaching. <laughs> Most of it mine. It's not just because of the preaching or the music. I'll tell you where our trouble is. Our trouble's in the home. I'll tell you why many of our kids, you know, people come to the church and say, Preacher, how are we going to keep our kids from turning out for the world? We raise our kids and they go through the youth group and they come up all, they come up all the way through the church and they hit 18 and boy, they're out them doors and they're gone. We got to do something more in this church for these kids. I'll tell you why they're gone. I'll tell you why they're gone. We've been sitting out in the wilderness, wandering in our own faithlessness, and our Christianity is dry. And when we come to church, it's nothing more than them having the ceremonial feast in the wilderness, sitting on rocks, sitting out in the desert with rattlesnakes around them, telling them how good the grace of God is. And they're hearing another crowd talk about how wonderful the leeks and garlics were in Egypt. It's not the program of the church. I want to tell you, I believe it's the way we live as Christians. When we come to church, we shout the roof off, and then we go home, and we fuss and fight. We come, we come to church, and we've got everything right. We say everything right, and then we go home. We get angry with the kids. We get frustrated. 
I'm telling you today, Jesus said, here's, the, here's what the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loves the church. Now, can I tell you something? Wives, you can never submit to that man until the Holy Spirit does it in you. And a husband can never love his wife as Christ loved the church unless, unless it's Jesus Christ loving her in him. And here's what I found. I found that the wives never have as much problem in verse 22 if they're married to a man that lives in verse 25. But even if not, the Holy Spirit of God helps us to have our married lives right. Look at verse number one of chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Hey, you know, I believe that children can be spirit-filled too. I believe that children can get saved and Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not. And they need to be taught what it means to be spirit-filled. They need to be taught what it means to open their hearts and their lives to live a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled children become obedient children. They become honoring children. They become respectful children. Then the Holy Spirit within them guides them into a submissive life with their parents. And then let me tell you something, church. I believe this with all my heart. Our homes need a revival in Holy Spirit-filled living, not at the church house, but at your house Amen. and at my house house look what he says in verse number four and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath you don't frustrate them you bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the lord bringing those children up with with the life of the lord jesus christ can i tell you tonight it'll change your worship life the spirit of god will change your wedded life it'll change our home but not a, notice notice also in verse number uh, i love this <laughs> Watch this, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What's he saying? You can replace that word servants with employee. Employee, serve your boss, your masters in the flesh. You say, well, my old boss is an old foul-mouthed, mean, ungodly man. He's unreasonable. How can I serve him with a good heart? You serve him like he's the Lord. You go to work. Listen, it'll change your work life. You go to work, and all of a sudden, when you get to work, you've got the Spirit of God in you, and you show up on time, and you work your full day's work, and you do it with joy and gladness, and you're not doing it for that old grudgy boss. You're doing it for Jesus, and you're making things run like the Lord wants them to run, and you're doing the will of God from your heart. And I want to tell you, it'll change the way you go to work. And if you're the boss, the Bible says in verse number 9, you masters, do the same things. If you own the company, you treat those employees not with, listen, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect to persons with him. You're not going to work threatening your employees and walking around as a tirade. And you're going to church on Sunday to sing the hymns, and you go to work on Monday, and you have to cuss the work out. You're taking your help, and you're, you're, you're driving them. May I tell you something, friend? When a man goes to work and a lady goes to work and they go to work in the Spirit of God, they go as a manager or a boss in the Spirit of God. God begins to do things. Let me tell you what the greatest mission field in the world is. Greatest mission field is not China, Russia, America, Uganda. The greatest mission field in the world is where every Christian goes to work on Monday morning. And if every Christian would leave the church house on Sunday and walk into work on Monday filled with the Spirit of God, we could reach this world for Christ. 
What is the number one excuse that people give for not going to church? It's all the hypocrites. Well, where'd they see those hypocrites? The same people that were singing in the choir on, Monday, on Sunday were cussing everybody out on Monday. When we came to church on Sunday, and boy, we had our hands raised, glory to God, hallelujah, I'm under the spout where the glory comes out. Then we get to work, we're mad and we're frustrated on the way to work. Traffic's too bad, the office is too cold, the boss is too harsh, and we complain. We, hey, hey, listen, somebody, somebody say amen right now. You say, well, you don't know where I work. It doesn't matter, I know who's in you. It'll change our work life. Not only that, but look at verse number, look at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, that's the Holy Spirit-filled life. Why? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you know why we have so many casualties in the Christian life? Because most Christians forget we're in a war. Spirit-filled life will change your war life. The Spirit of God will start helping you to see the adversaries in your life. Yes, sir. You'll start seeing those things that you've brought in that you think are good and enjoyable, and I don't see the harm in this. The Holy Spirit of God will warn you and say, hey, there's a lot of harm in that. There's sin in that. That's not just some casual entertainment. There's some things that displease God in that. That's going to destroy you. That's going to hurt you. He helps you in warring against the powers of darkness. Hey, hey. How of you know tonight that we're in a spiritual warfare in our country? Let me tell you something, friend. We're, we're laughing about the, the lunacy of, of the crowd that wants to change the genders and change the pronouns, and we're laughing at that. But let me tell you, in my church, there are people losing their jobs over that. There are Christians that are going to work on Monday morning. I sat with a lady last week with tears coming down her face. She said, I've had this job. I've been, I've, I've been in radiology for all these years at, uh, at this particular hospital. And she said, and now if I don't go through this class and this training and I don't be, begin using these pronouns and I don't do all these things, I'm going to lose my job. She said, what do I do? And I said, you obey God. Amen. Yeah. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There have been generations before us that have lost their jobs. I'm not saying that we all ought to walk into our jobs and take a holy stand for God and just get up on a soapbox and preach. But what I'm saying is there is a spiritual warfare going on in this country tonight, and we're not prepared to fight it if we're not spirit-filled. I believe today that I'm, I'm telling you the left in this country, the, the, the unhinged, and this is not a political statement. I'm just talking about it is, it is no longer, it is no longer con conservative and liberal. It is righteousness and unrighteousness. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of those who say they're on the right that are actually on the unrighteousness. There is spiritual wickedness in high places. And I want to tell you something, while they're making their agendas and they're making their plans and they're doing their things, and while they're making and formulating their strategies, the church is stuttering on how to answer this crowd and how to give the gospel. We're not doing what we ought to be doing in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our children are being ravaged in this life of darkness. The world has crept into the church. It is taking over everything in our thinking and the psychology of the church. I want you to know tonight, friend, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We are in a spiritual warfare. The Spirit of God will change your warring life. And let me lastly say this tonight. Look at verse number 19. Paul said, And as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known 
the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And notice what he said in verse number 22. He said, whom I have sent, speaking of teaching, he said, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're Paul or Tychicus or Timothy or Silas or Barnabas or Dean or Brother Scott Pauly or Brother Scott Hooks. It doesn't matter who we are. We have been sent with the same purpose, and that is to open our mouths boldly and to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to get back, brethren. We have got to get back to winning souls for Jesus Christ. Jesus came. He came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. He had one purpose. He had one commission. He had one thing on his mind, and that was to preach the gospel. He said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of God hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Everywhere he went, he went preaching the gospel. And Jesus was given the commission by God. He said that my father sent me, and as my father sent me, so send I you. That we would go everywhere preaching the gospel. I believe today that we lack the boldness. It's one thing to come in here with the church and shout about how Jesus, nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. It's another thing to go back out to that crowd out there and to tell them the mystery of the gospel. Yes. And let me tell you something. It's not our job to set the world right. It's our job to preach the gospel. Yes. Think about this. We're not, we're not out carrying bad tidings. We don't have to walk around with a scowl on our face and a clenched fist and rage. No, Jesus didn't rage. The Bible says that a smoking flax and a bruised reed, he wouldn't quench the, the faintest spark. He wouldn't break a bent piece of grass. He was gentle. He was meek. He was lowly. He wasn't a raging lunatic. Little children sat in his lap. He was loved and he was heard, and yet he had boldness and authority. And he preached the gospel and set the captives free. The reason why we're not witnessing like we ought to witness is we're not filled with the Spirit of God. But after that, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Follow me, and I will make you be fishers of men. No man in this room has a right. No man in this room has a right to call himself a follower of Jesus if he's not a soul winner. Amen. You're right. One of the old great men of yesteryear said, R.A. Torrey said, there's only two classes of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. Paul said, I want you to pray that I will have the power of the Holy Spirit to open my mouth and declare boldly the mystery of the gospel. You know what this world is looking for? Listen to me. This world knows they need to be changed. They've tried to change everything to fit their mind. But you can't change society to fit man's mind or you'll just corrupt society like man's mind. Man needs to be transformed. This whole idea, listen, this whole idea of changing our, our, our marriage identity, changing sexual identity, all of this is man unsatisfied with his nature. And he knows that there needs to be a transformation, and it's only in Jesus. This is the day that the church needs to stand up and boldly say, he is the way, the truth, the life. I say tonight that I believe many of us are frustrated and fatigued 
We're worn out because we're pushing around this great salvation. When God gave us the engine, the Holy Spirit of God, are you in the will of God tonight? Are you filled with the Spirit? If not, you can be. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father give the Spirit to them that ask Him? You know how a man gets drunk? He takes a drink. And he keeps drinking. You know how a Christian gets filled with the Spirit? <laughs> he goes to God and he says, I'm opening up. I'm asking. I, want, I need the Holy Spirit. He begins to fill his life and just keeps he just keeps drinking of that river of life. Filled with the Spirit until he has control. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2020 is scheduled for September 7th through 9th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to join us. For more information about REST, go to our website, therestconference.com.